This is the Baggage Reclaim Sessions. This week, I share 10 key questions to help you understand your emotional availability. Plus, I explain why it's unfair for people to shame us about not wanting to be their friend or not being over something just yet. I'm Natalie Liu, a writer based in Southeast London who is dedicated to helping people to improve their emotional and relationship literacy. Let's kick this off. Last week in episode 27, I talked about how I have been listening to a podcast where and the author Michael Hyatt have been talking about life plans. And so much of what he said resonated with me and quite a few light bulbs went off, especially when he said no one ever drifted to a destination that they wanted to go to. And like a lot of my readers and listeners, I haven't actually been that crazy about having like some big old big picture life plan. I think probably due to some childhood procrastination habits, I've always maybe been a bit resistant to being like, oh yeah, like I'm going to go and put down some big old plan about something because then it's like a big old commitment. But I've realized that I'm actually at a stage in my life where I would like to make some very, very conscious decisions about what I want to do next. That I might want to, I don't want to be in control, but I do want to kind of decide what path I want to steer myself on. One of the things that was really, really pivotal in my own journey is that about, I think it was about 11 or about 11 years ago, I decided to write my short, medium and long-term goals. And it was really the first time that I'd ever done something like that. And I can't remember why I decided to do it. But what came out from doing that exercise is I, I wrote it all out. And actually, I don't even know what I did with the list afterwards. I think it turned up actually a few years ago and then I lost it again. But what I wrote down on that list really stuck with me because aside from what might have been some tasks that were sort of lingering over, it's more that there were things on there that really told me about my priorities. And at the time, I realized that I wasn't really living my life in a way that reflected things that I had in mind for my life. Now, as it is, I have done really pretty much everything that I had put down on that list 11 years ago. I think the the last big one, and I remember talking about this, you know, sort of nearly 18 months ago, which was passing my driving test. I've since then, you know, from since 11 years ago, have recommended to so many people that they write down a list of uh, short, medium and long term goals so that they can get a sense of what their real priorities are, but also so that they can see if some of the things that they have in mind are competing with each other. And but also because they, it's a great way of of knowing yourself when you actually put down that list and you make some commitments they're like a lot of them are actually micro commitments because you realize well hold on a second if this is what I have in mind in the medium so medium term would be like six months plus long term let's say 18 months or two years plus if you are not taking care of your medium to long term with the way that you're acting in the short term, then the likelihood is that you're going to go off course. So you can look at, well, what are the things that I can do right now that will kind of allow me to conduct myself in a way that's helping me to gently prep my way towards that life? Something else I heard, and I actually can't remember where I heard it, but it's been in this past week, is about how we might think that uh, when a pilot flies a, a plane, 
that they, I don't know, they press in the coordinates of where they want to go and the plane just goes in a straight line. But actually, there are probably like hundreds, if not thousands, of small uh, shifts in the movements in order to keep the plane on course and keep it basically headed to that destination. So those small turns, those small movements are actually what we are doing like right now in our short term. And actually, I remember attending a talk a few years back and uh, the woman saying that a lot of what we do right now in our present sort of bears fruit in about six months time that we will kind of see where our direction is in six months time so the stuff that we're doing now actually matters in some way of course we don't want to micromanage every movement that we have but we might want to pay attention to whether we are really truly taking care of the things that really matter to us so I asked around about you know whether other people have life plans and actually turns out that lots of people are actually thinking about, you know, what, who am I or what do I want to do or where do I want to be? But also lots of people are actually afraid in some ways about that. One reader, Elgi, shared some interesting tips as well, where she talked about how actually she's been unemployed for a year and where some people might be like, oh my gosh, that's like such a terrible thing. Or, you know, you know, of course, you know, you're, you're figuring out something really bad about yourself that actually that year has caused her to learn about how she was kind of almost on the hamster wheel of life and just doing things in a certain way. And it's now really helped her to become very focused on who she is and who she wants to be going forward. And she talked about, and, you know, I haven't done French since I was back in school, but I think she called it mise en place, which is how uh, culinary chefs, they prepare all of the ingredients beforehand. It's all chopped and diced and, I don't know, all laid out ready so that all they have to do is basically pull everything together in order to make whatever it is that they're doing, which obviously is very different to how, for instance, if you're cooking something and you're pulling out a bit here and a bit there and you already start cooking and next thing you're like, oh my gosh, I've got to go and chop up this and chop up that. And so it's just taking a more measured approach to doing things so that you can obviously have more effective results. And I really, really liked that. And then another reader, Mary Jane, she was already familiar with Michael Hyatt, who was the person who was being interviewed in the podcast that I was listening to last week. And she actually said that she had spoken to him before and, you know, basically about how he shares a great deal of wisdom. And she has shared this really great document that he's put together called Creating Your Personal Life Plan. And I've included the link to it in the show notes. In there, he takes you through a process. Now, I'm not going to go into the entire ins and outs of it. But one of the first things he does is ask about, like, what do you want to be remembered for? Like, how do you want people to remember you? And so it is, you know, sort of picturing that scene where, you know, a group of people are basically gathered in a room to say farewell to you, but also to remember you. And it's like, well, what do you want to be remembered as? And I remember actually that more than 10 years ago, it's probably like 11 years ago, that talking about that with somebody and realizing that I didn't want to be remembered as someone who people go, oh gosh, it's a real shame that Natalie just, you know, she just spent her whole life chasing after her dad in the form of Mr. Unavailable after Mr. Unavailable after Mr. Unavailable. Oh, it's just a real shame that she just never really, really got it together. Like, I just did not want to be remembered for being the bad date clown, 
You know, I wanted to be remembered for something else, you know, altogether. I wanted to remember me, you know, in different ways. So he not only talks about like, you know, how would you like to be remembered? But what do you think certain types of people might say? So for instance, your your partner or your spouse or your children or your friends or your co-workers, like how will they remember you? Because that gives you a sense of what your priorities are and maybe that your values and how you want to be sort of going forward. And then he talks about how you can sort of split off your life plan into different accounts. And I mean, his one has, I think, at the top of it, like God, and then he's got himself, and then he's got the kids, and then he's got the wife, and then he's got his co-workers, and I think then he's got like finances. I can't remember the exact internet. Everybody's accounts are different. And so those accounts are really like, then you can sort of look at like, what is the purpose of each account? or What is your purpose within each of those for each account to be working effectively for, for you feeling as if your life is feeling good, that you are doing things that honor your values, that honor who you are, then how would that future look in each account? And this can really kind of give you that sense of clarity about like, oh, like these are the things that matter because our values and also our boundaries express our priorities. And I think that, you know, going back to this whole drifting thing, and I've been talking about this with so many people, you know, I did, I did a couple of events this week. So many people identify with this whole drifting thing that we often allow other people, because we are afraid of, for instance, honoring our values, you know, being who we are. And we're also afraid of, you know, having boundaries that we actually allow other people to, to dictate our priorities because we sort of end up sort of inadvertently following their lead. And then we end up being unhappy with what their priorities are or how we're following them. And so like, sort of looking at how you might like the future to look gives you a sense of what it is that you need to do. Or even just like a sense of like, well, how will I know that this is working well? Like we, myself and, and M, my husband, we always know that things are, you know, that we've we've got something pretty good going on when we're able to take trips. It doesn't have to be overseas, but where we feel as if we're getting a few trips in, that we're sort of expanding our travel horizons, that the kids are having an opportunity to travel, to try out new things, to, that these type of things tell us that, that that priority is being taken care of. It's not about travel per se. It's about education and learning and inspiration and togetherness and the family. So that's just an example of something that that is important to us. That's something that we stumbled across just realizing, wow, this is when we feel really content and happy and united as a family. It's also as well looking at the current reality. And I think that sometimes this is a really big factor in why we might be resistant to planning. Because it's like in order to have a sense of where we want to go, we often can have to consider like where we are. And sometimes we are afraid of admitting where we are. We might be afraid of admitting what it is that we are unhappy with in particular aspects of our lives. We think, oh my gosh, I'm going to make myself feel really, really bad. But actually, if we acknowledge where we are, then we are actually in a position to do something about it. We're in a position to recognize what doesn't work. This is far better than sort of having a sense of where we are and then beating us up about it and making us, in essence, feel bad, but not actually doing anything to change that. And so, yes, it's understandable to feel frustrated when it feels as if like, oh my gosh, like I've drifted. I didn't realize like where I am, but not getting all woo-woo about it. But I think that sometimes, not always, but there is that kind of sense of maybe we are where we are supposed to be. But if we want to be somewhere different, then now is the time to get really conscious, aware and present so that we can steer things in the direction that we want to go. I think that by having more of a sense, and it doesn't have to be some rigid plan, like I definitely am not like 
the rigid plan, like living my life in such a way that I end up feeling inflexible and like, oh my gosh, I have to be in control of everything. But actually, it's okay to have a sense of clarity about where you want to go. We also have to stop apologizing for the fact that we want certain things. And this is something else I was talking about this week. We can often be afraid of admitting, do you know what? Actually, I would like to be in a relationship that is going somewhere. I would like to be in a serious relationship. We end up apologizing for that as if we are making people feel bad about the fact that we don't want to be in something less serious. And you know what? Everybody's entitled to their position and their perspective. We don't need to feel bad, for instance, about the fact that we might want something more stable and loving and more committed, but that somebody else might not. But we, in order to truly get that type of relationship, we actually have to honor that need in us and make the choices that take us in that direction. You can check out the Create Your Personal Life Plan. The link to that is in the show notes and the show notes are at baggagereclaim.co.uk forward slash 28. And actually, this is a good time to mention, obviously it can be difficult trying to figure out like what's the link to that particular podcast. And from now on, whatever the episode number is, you can just go to baggagereclaim.co.uk forward slash and whatever the episode number is. So it's nice and easy. As humans, we all have emotional baggage. It's what we accumulate on our journey that is life. Sometimes we find that the type of baggage that we're carrying around is causing us to feel bad about us and stuck in the past. And in this part of the show, I deal with ways that we can lighten that baggage. One of the key subjects that I have become known for at Baggage Reclaim is talking about the subjects of emotional unavailability. When we fear being vulnerable, when we have a fear of uncertainty, fear of making decisions, when we fear life's inevitables like conflict, criticism, rejection and disappointment, and these are dictating a lot of our thought process, whether it's conscious or subconsciously, we are struggling with being emotionally available. The fears take precedence over the things that we profess to want and need, plus They prevent us from consistently showing up as who we truly are because we're afraid of being seen. We're afraid that if we allow someone to get close enough to us, that it might hurt if they were to leave, that it might hurt if they were to be less than perfect, which is basically every single person on the planet, or that they might discover that we are actually less than perfect. And so when we have that sort of pervasive fear, we don't realize the conscious and subconscious ways that we are going around doing stuff to protect us, to limit us from being vulnerable. When we are struggling to be emotionally available, so to truly be available emotionally, to know us, to see others, to feel our feelings, to know where we are, it's because we associate vulnerability. So, you know, that ability to sort of be intimate, that ability to allow ourselves to be seen and to allow us to be, you know, who we are and in essence, less than perfect. It's because we associate that vulnerability with being hurt. We associate it with loss. We associate it with rejection, abandonment, feeling unsafe. And we will have very specific reasons for why we feel that way. And those reasons make sense to us. They are reasons that we have sort of turned into a habit, you know, our beliefs. And we have used those to sort of dictate how we are going about our life. And do you know what? 
there is a basis for why we have drawn those conclusions, but we have ended up having a blanket approach when we end up becoming emotionally unavailable. So we are not really available for love, care, trust and respect because we're shutting down aspects of us. We're not willing to to show up emotionally. We're not willing to go the distance. We're putting a cap on us. And we will always know there is an issue around our emotional availability. When we find that we're in a groundhog day, when we have patterns that are really, really frustrating for us, when we are greatly motivated by fear. What we also have to recognize as well is that when we lack self-awareness, so we're kind of out of touch with what we feel and why, or we're out of touch with who we are because we've been pretending to be something that we're not, because we've been putting walls up and barriers, then we have to recognize that we can't lack self-awareness and be emotionally available at the same time. In order to be emotionally available, we have to be self-aware. We have to be willing to know us. We have to be willing to be, in essence, human. So, you know, less than perfect. And we have to be willing to be around, not just for the good bits of life, but also for the not so good aspects of it as well. What I wanted to do really was to come up with a few, well, 10 questions that I felt could be a real sort of springboard for examining your own relationship with you. If you have wondered, am I emotionally available? Am I emotionally unavailable? I mean, a very, very quick way of checking to see how emotionally available you are is to look at what type of partners do you typically end up going out with? And if you have typically ended up being with emotionally unavailable partners, and it's not just been like a blip, you know, or a short relationship, that it's been, you know, a consistent pattern, and there's sometimes even been long relationships, what you have to do there is ask yourself, well, what's going on with me? You know, it's that whole water seek in its own level. Like, why am I comfortable being around somebody who is emotionally unavailable? Why do I want to make myself available to somebody who is unavailable? So I've put together 10 questions. Now, you don't have to remember them off by heart. I have put together uh, a a tip sheet on it, which you can download at baggagereclaim.co.uk forward slash 28 download. So the first thing to ask you is, are you afraid of your feelings? Are, for instance, certain feelings off limits? You know, are there certain things you sort of censor? Are there certain things that you feel very, very uncomfortable feeling? Because if there are, the likelihood is that there is some level of emotional unavailability there. Now, as humans, we all feel uncomfortable at times with certain emotions. But when there is emotional unavailability, then certain things do tend to be off limits. Certain things are deemed as being like really negative and are not allowed to be dealt with. There are certain things that are sort of locked away. And there's almost this fear that if the feelings are allowed out, that something cataclysmic is going to happen. The next question, number two, to ask is, do you on some level feel as if you would only feel safe to show up as who you truly are if there were the perfect conditions? And the reason for this is because I talk to a lot of people who are involved in very frustrating, unavailable relationships. And they're often involved with that person who can't commit. They can't commit to being with them and they can't commit to not being with them. And what becomes apparent is that fear of vulnerability, that fear of uncertainty, that fear of, you know, making decisions. It's like they're waiting for the absolute perfect conditions. And because those perfect conditions never exist, they just don't commit. They don't show up. 
And what we have to recognize as well is, is that if we are perfectionists, if we are always striving for something that we just can't ever be, which is absolutely perfect, if we're always waiting for the perfect conditions to be us, to be vulnerable, then we are holding ourselves back because the time is now. Number three, are you in a pattern? So as I was saying earlier on in this segment, it's, you know, is there that kind of sense of Groundhog Day where it feels as if you're with same person, but just in a different package? Do you feel as if the same issues keep coming back at you? Because if that is the case, you have to start asking you, what am I holding myself back from seeing about myself or seeing about others? What am I afraid of knowing? What am I afraid of admitting to what I already know? If you can be honest of you about why a pattern exists, then you can also recognize that you are living in the past in some way. Now, if you are primarily uh, sort of rear-facing as such, you can't be emotionally available because in order to be emotionally available, you need to be present-based. That means that you're not living in the past, you know, trying to right the wrongs of it, you know, sort of forecasting doom, but you're also not off like too far in the future, like basically sort of living out some sort of fantasy or trying to work out like what's going to happen next. Because all of these things are quite stressful. Like what about your time like right now? What about the present? Number four, do you know yourself? In fact, are you even willing to know you? Are you being yourself? I have been out doing uh, talks this week up in the north of England. I've been in Manchester and Leeds and I've been talking about how it's so painful to to listen to people's stories about dating and how they effectively go on dates and they are not even showing up. They're not even really there. They're sitting there and they are listening to the other person and they are trying to work out, okay, what type of person do they want me to be? Like, okay, oh, uh, he or she has just said that their last partner was really needy. Okay, note to self, never ever have needs. And we can sometimes even go on dates and it's like, I'm just going to try to be what I think that they want, but I'm also going to try to make sure that I don't say or do anything that would allow them to form an opinion on me. And that makes for, it makes for being closed off. We can't possibly be emotionally available if that's the way that we are going about our interactions. It doesn't even have to be about dates. I talk to people And they spend most of their time pretending to be somebody that they're not. They spend most of their time trying to anticipate what somebody else might feel or do. And all of those things are a distraction from being ourselves. Number five, are you closed off? And by this, I mean, like, do you have healthy boundaries or do you have walls? Now, the difference between boundaries and walls is that boundaries allow you to filter out inappropriate, you know, unfair, unacceptable things. You know, they allow you to respond here in the present to deal with stuff. Walls filter out both the good and the not so good. Walls are like, trust nothing. It's a bit like you have a traffic light and you've got red, amber and green and it's always on red. You wouldn't learn how to cross the road if you never actually use the traffic light system in itself. Just like you don't learn how to trust by not having trust. You have to have trust in order to have trust, you have to have boundaries. You then learn from each of those experiences of where things work out well and where things don't work out so well so that you can adjust and respond to that. 
What I find with a lot of people who are struggling with emotional availability is they are terrified of boundaries. They are terrified of feelings. They are terrified of getting something wrong, of not being certain about stuff. So they would rather be in Groundhog Day where the certainty of their comfort zone, even if it's an uncomfortable one, feels much more safe, much safer to them than running the risk of like having to actually be vulnerable and deal with what is going on right now and the, and the so-called uncertainty of that. But if you feel as if you have a wall up, if there's an element of going like, oh my gosh, like I don't trust myself. I just, I just can't, I can't bear the idea of actually having my own back of relying on me. I would rather not trust anyone or just trust anyone but me you can't possibly be emotionally available if that's the way that you feel. Number six, are you looking for someone to fill you up or to make things right? Again, this is another example of living in the past. If you are looking outside of you to feel good, to feel valid, to feel accepted, to feel worthy, to feel loved then you are always, always, always going to feel insecure. But on top of that, because you're looking outside of you, you're putting you in a position where you're not going to feel safe to be you because, again, you're always going to be looking for ways to try to get that out of people. It's like, it's always going to be like, your relationships are always going to be about like, I need to get something out of someone. They have my oxygen supply. They have like my reason for being, my reason for living. And that's such an unstable way of living because then all of your sense of self is tied up in how other people are being. Of course, you you won't feel as if you are safe in being available because it's like, well, what if I end up being available and then they withdraw? It's like, no, 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 no. I'll just like be at the level that I am and then I'll just see what I can get out of that. That's a really, really frustrating way to live. Also, I find as well that when we are looking for someone to, to fill us up, to make us whole, that that again is about trying to right the wrongs of the past. So having an unmet need from someone significant from our past and then still blaming us for why that need was unmet and then looking for someone now to basically make up for what went on. And of course, if we keep trying to, to, to right the wrongs of the past, we never actually get to address our present. And of course, again, if we're not in the present, then we can't be emotionally available. Number seven, do you either put other people's feelings ahead of your own or do you refuse to acknowledge other people's positions for fear of what you might learn? Now, I hear from a hell of a lot of people who are, in essence, people pleasers. So they prioritize the needs, expectations, uh, desires, feelings, beliefs and opinions of everyone else and they suppress their own in the hopes that they might be noticed, rewarded, validated in some way, or so that they will basically get to avoid what they feel on negative consequences. So again, conflict, criticism, rejection, disappointment. On the flip side, there's also another set of people who they just will not entertain another person's perspective or position because it's like, please do not like uh, sort of, even put an even slight dent into my, you know, false sense of self, like my ego, basically. Those type of people where they won't entertain another person's position, then they end up acting in ways that even if it is not what they claim is their intention, they end up acting in ways that are actually quite selfish, actually quite destructive. They end up taking advantage, they end up using, and yes, in some instances, they also end up abusing. Whether it's that you're putting 
everyone's feelings ahead of your own or you're at the other end and you just can't recognize someone else's position, either way, you're not emotionally available because it is actually possible to recognize your own feelings and recognize those of others too. It doesn't have to be an either or. Number eight, and this feeds on very nicely for number seven, do you struggle to empathize? Now, typically what I find with a lot of baggage reclaim readers and listeners is that they are over empathizers. They could empathize with the world and its dog. And they will come up with all manner of reasons for why someone is being and doing something. And they will use that to deny, rationalize and minimize and excuse all sorts of shady behavior. But if they're asked to empathize with themselves, well, goodness gracious, you'd think that you were asking them to do the hardest thing in the world. On the flip side, a lot of these people also end up dealing with people who just do not empathize. Now, a portion of those people who don't empathize actually can't. They may, for instance, have narcissistic personality disorder. And so, you know, empathy is off the table. And yet because of their lack of empathy for themselves, so the people who, for instance, are people pleasers, they keep looking for someone who can't empathize to validate them in that way, which just basically puts them between a rock and a hard place. There are also a portion of people, and this feeds back into number seven about people who cannot recognize another person's position. It's not even necessarily that they cannot recognize them. It's like they don't want to because they are in a place where it's like, I am the victim. It's all about me. And I understand sometimes we go through stuff in life and it is incredibly painful and we become sort of very entrenched in that pain. And we all have to walk our own path. We all have to work, walk our own journey. But when someone is very entrenched in their own position and refuses to recognize someone else's, they can't empathize. It's not that they literally can't, but they just choose not to because it's like, well, if I acknowledge your feelings, your position, then I have to learn something about me or about you or about life. And that might threaten reasons that I'm using to justify the way that I'm being right now. So if there is empathy issues, so whether it's over empathy or under empathy, both point to emotional unavailability. Number nine, and again, feeding on nicely from the previous two questions, do you practice compassion? Now, I have, again, so many readers and listeners who consider themselves to be like super compassionate. They think because they don't have boundaries, because they think like good things about everybody else that they're like, oh yeah, yeah, like I'm really, really compassionate. Compassion is about being able to, to recognize, again, and it feeds into empathy, so recognizing another person's position, recognizing a struggle, but it's about practicing loving kindness. It's about... Uh, patience. It's about tolerance. It's about care. It's about respect. It's about even honor. And one of the difficulties is that you can't call yourself emotionally available if you only ever extend what you think is compassion to everyone else. But when it comes to you, you're very unforgiving. And so if you find that you are incredibly hard on you, that you really, really find it difficult to allow you to move on from stuff, it is time to ask you, what's really going on with me? What am I afraid of seeing? What am I afraid? Why am I so different to everybody else that I can't extend any compassion, that I can't be kind and patient and tolerant to me? And number 10, do you operate with a hidden agenda? Now, we are all 
guilty of having a hidden agenda at times. But people who habitually have a hidden agenda have gotten so into the habit of thinking and feeling and acting in certain ways that their hidden agenda is actually really, really hidden from themselves. And when you have a hidden agenda, then you most absolutely cannot be emotionally available. When you have a hidden agenda, then you're not speaking up or stepping up. There's a lot of hinting, uh, people pleasers, so much hidden agenda there. It's all about doing good things for the wrong reasons. As well, you will always know that there is a hidden agenda if on some level you are avoiding something. You could be avoiding confrontation, avoiding criticism, avoiding conflict, avoiding rejection. Any form of avoidance is stopping you from being truly available, stopping you from being truly available to you, stopping you from truly being available to whoever it is that you're engaging with. It's all avoidance and it all compromises you. So all of these questions are really there to help you to explore where you are. Emotional availability isn't a destination. It's, it's in flux. It's something that is ongoing and you move through different states because whether your emotions, they don't just pause at, at something. And there are going to be different experiences that you go through in life. At times, you are going to feel very, very challenged about being available and open. But it is about what is your natural, typical state to slip back into. And in the past, I have definitely been emotionally unavailable. And that was my state for most of my life. Now, my new habit is to even when I go through challenges in life, and you know, that is the case for all of us. We all go through challenges. We all face life's inevitables. But I do find my way back to the core of being emotionally available, that I, I've stopped being afraid of knowing me. I've stopped being afraid of my feelings, of, of saying what I need to say and doing what I need to do. Also as well, it's the goal of, you know, compassionately questioning sort of your emotional availability isn't about making you feel less than it's not about like oh my gosh like what's wrong with me it's about looking at like how do you want to live so it's about choosing your values it's about choosing your priorities because when your priority is fear then you're choosing a very very different path to when you are choosing to be open in healthy ways your priorities dictate your choices and also they dictate your outcomes so it's also as well about acknowledging where you need to be more conscious aware and present you're not expecting to revolutionize the wheel it's not about like oh you would ask yourself those 10 questions and then tomorrow you're going to like leap up out of bed and be like oh my gosh I'm emotionally available. But it is about recognizing, okay, like this is what I've been doing. Where can I go from here? What is it that I might need to do where I can just show up a little bit more emotionally available each day? It's small steps. It's not about trying to make like revolutionize the wheel, as I say, and trying to do something big and drastic. It's trying to show up in small ways every day so that it all builds up into something really, really good for you. You can't expect to close you off and still expect to experience the good. And also, you can't have little or no boundaries and claim to be emotionally available. Boundaries are an expression of your self-esteem. So it's really, really important that if you do want to feel good about you, if you do want to be emotionally available, that you recognize that being emotionally available comes with, you know, starting to honor your values, being willing to be more boundaried, and also being willing to trust you some more. As I said, you can download the 10 questions from baggagereclaim.co.uk forward slash 20A download. 
one of the things that a lot of people struggle with is not wanting to be friends with somebody anymore, not wanting to be in contact. It might not be forever, but it's how they feel right now. What can happen is that when we tell somebody, do you know what, I need some space and time to kind of come to terms with what has happened, to come to terms with my feelings. It doesn't have to be about a romantic breakup. There might have been, I don't know, some sort of issue that went down. But whatever it was, it means that we need to kind of step back and take some time for ourselves. That often these people can find that they are confronted with somebody who's basically shaming them for not wanting to, for instance, be their friend anymore or to be around them. And it's like... I was talking to a friend of mine and it's like her ex basically was like, well, you know, um, I don't have any exes that aren't friends with me. As if to say you are in the wrong because you've decided that you basically don't want to be in touch with me right now. And actually it is wrong for someone to shame us for basically not being ready yet. It's also wrong for somebody to turn around and basically try to bully us into being their friend. That's not a friendship or or bully us into you know sort of moving on because it's like we have to respect each other and I'm not saying that we have to sit around and bear grudges and hold on to stuff but the thing is is that we're not going to be able to move on from something if the person who we are in essence feeling hurt or or whatever it is that we're feeling about whatever it is that's gone down between us is actually riding our backsides like Zorro giving us a hard time trying to shame us about what we feel or what we've done as if like oh, like you're wrong to feel the way that you do. Just get over it already. And actually, that's not the way that somebody who truly cares about, loves us, respects us, should be really behaving towards us. So what I really kind of want to say is that if you are somebody who has ended up feeling a level of shame because somebody's basically turned around and being like, you know, I can't believe that you don't want to be around me right now or you don't want to be my friend after I dumped you or I treated you badly... That shame is not yours to carry. And don't feel bad about it. Like you are entitled to have some space and time to take care of you and to honor your feelings. And it is only by going through that that you can really truly from a healthy place decide if you actually want to be friends with this person or if you want to make up or forgive or whatever it is. But you are not going to be in a position to do that from a really healthy place if you keep shaming you about your own feelings. You have a right to your own feelings. You have a right to your position. It's that time in the show where I answer a listener question. Nicole asks, where do I draw the line with setting boundaries and issuing ultimatums? It feels as if I keep flagging up the same concerning issues to my partner. He lies, he backtracks on stuff, he leaves me questioning his loyalty. And yet, despite everything that I said to him, despite the fact that I let him know that what he's doing is unacceptable, it continues. Sometimes I even feel like his mother. I don't want to feel as if I'm issuing him an ultimatum but I also don't want this situation to continue. The difficulty here is that when someone is in a relationship where something unacceptable is happening and there is a lot of talk, but not really any real consequences about it, of course things are going to slip into a dynamic where it feels as if you're becoming like the nagging parent. Now, the thing is, is that if we are dealing with a child, that is such a different situation to being in a romantic relationship. Because when we 
set boundaries with children, we are aware that our role as a parent involves us creating effective consequences or attempting to communicate what isn't workable or what an alternative is to it. So like a more effective way that they can go about something. We cannot leave our children, obviously, but what we can do is work with them to help them understand why something is an issue or we can get them to explain their end of things. So for example, if our kids came to us and, you know, I don't know, we asked them to do something and they, instead of just saying no or explaining their position, they erupted at us, you know, in anger, we can basically turn around and, and let them know that it is absolutely okay to turn around and say no. There's just a more effective, fair way of going about communicating it. So we wouldn't be telling them telling them that saying no is wrong, we would be letting them know that the method, the delivery is off. And in that way, we are helping them to understand themselves, but we're also helping them to understand boundaries. What we also learn as well from addressing boundaries with children is that we have to say our piece and move on. That doesn't mean that it's as if the issue never happened, but once we say our piece and combine it with healthy boundaries and the consequences and open communication in general, it's a lot easier to create a harmonious sort of collaborative atmosphere. And we also don't end up sort of feeling put upon and taken for granted or or resentful. Now, in the situation that Nicole has, the reason why she ends up feeling like his mother is because it has become that parent-child situation where she's explaining and explaining and explaining. And what we have to recognise is that romantic relationships are no place for an adult-child dynamic going on. And when she's there explaining and explaining and explaining, she is taking on that mother role. Like, he's able to get away with all of this stuff because he knows that nothing is going to happen. With adults, we fear that by stating our boundaries and communicating potential consequences that we're telling them what to do. And if we're not doing that, then we're often inadvertently doing a hell of a lot of talking and not really much action. Sometimes we hope that what we say will cause the other party to feel bad so that they don't go and do it again. So it's like we're trying to appeal to to something about them. So it's like, okay, if I can just make them see how I am suffering or the difficulty or what's so wrong with this, then they will feel really, really, really bad about it and they won't go and do it again. If we switch back to kids, though, our aim, hopefully, with children is that we don't want to guilt them into complying. And so we invariably broach subjects with them in a different way. So then we switch back to adults. And it's important to recognise that each time we try to make someone feel bad, we're opening up the resentment gates. So we will feel it when they don't amend their behaviour, but also so will they. So the dynamic of this sort of the passive aggressive child with the parent continues. Nicole also needs to realise as well that it might feel like she's dealing with different sort of buckets of fish here, but telling lies, backtracking on stuff, you know, leaving her questioning his loyalty, these all point to similar issues, which is issues around honesty. So for whatever reason, he has negative associations with honesty that likely have absolutely nothing to do with their relationship, but he is in a habit of telling lies, backtracking, basically saying what he thinks that she wants to hear, or delaying consequences by telling lies. The whole loyalty thing as well, again, combined with the lying as well, it's like you can't rely on a person who is behaving in that way. 
So Nicole also needs to get very clear on the levels of issues because in this situation, so there's obviously lies, backtracking, whichever else, they're pretty big issues. Like they are really kind of as big as it's going to get really. They fall into the code red category. And that means that realistically, the relationship cannot continue with those types of issues. So it's also by working at the level of issues, if you're imagining on a scale of one to five and five being the worst and one being sort of at the bottom of that, it's about working out what is worth reacting to or the level of reacting to. Because if there are other, what may seem like smaller issues, say for instance, around chores, obviously Nicole hasn't said that, but let's just use chores as an example. She wouldn't go reacting to chores not being done in the same way as for instance, lies, you know, at number five. So when you apply levels in a situation, you know, so from one to five, then you can apply your response appropriately. Code red behavior. So again, like the lies, manipulation, disrespect, anything sort of abusive, taking advantage, they all fall into a number five. And that means take serious action. It means that there's something really serious going on within the relationship. Nicole isn't creating consequences and this affects her assertiveness and how she upholds boundaries talking about what is unacceptable, but then accepting it is not assertive communication. And it's also not having healthy boundaries within the relationship. It's not good for her and it's not good for him. And it's not good for the overall relationship. It's a bit like when you have a parent that keeps going, I'm going to count to three. And then despite the fact that it's continuing, nothing happens after three and then they count again. Nicole's partner telling lies is a major boundary issue from, from, you know, from his end. Also, it not being addressed makes it a major boundary issue from her end. People do make mistakes, but if there is a pattern of lying or the lie represents something really unacceptable, that means that the problem behind the lie really needs to be addressed by the other party and, you know, Nicole before continuing or that she needs to exit. When we feel as if we're having, you know, solid, firm discussions about why something is an issue and it continues... Either the message really wasn't received, and that might mean that we have to say it differently, you know, no hinting, or that the person is not self-aware and also doesn't really think that this is much of an issue as we have said. And they might not think that it's an issue because, well, we're still there. And they reckon, well, if I were experiencing bigger consequences and I was being put out of this, then I guess I would feel the impetus to actually do something about it. But if I can get away with it, then I'm going to continue. We often fear being bossy, we fear being rude. Boundaries aren't about ruling others. They're about knowing our own line. It's not about threatening the withdrawal of our love and affection. It's about recognizing that we can love someone, but if they cannot respect healthy boundaries, the love may remain, but they cannot. Check out the show notes at baggagereclaim.co.uk forward slash 28 for links to some posts on the subject of boundaries. And this will be particularly useful to you if you have recurring boundary issues. Also check out my 30-day project, Embrace Healthy Boundaries, if you are looking to really, really sort of move things along and transcend previous issues that you've had with boundaries. Would you like your question to be featured on the Baggage Reclaim sessions? Then drop me an email at podcast at baggagereclaim.com. You can remain anonymous. Each week in this part of the show, I'll share something that I've learned that week. It might be an insight that's helped me to know and take care of me better or an anecdotal experience that's given me a perspective on life. Over the past six weeks or so, I have been going to hypnotherapy, something that I will delve into in another show. 
But what I really wanted to share today was about how, you know, of course, we all have different paths to learning about ourselves or to addressing issues. The reasons why I decided to go to hypnotherapy was really, you know, I'm always on a quest to understand myself more, to understand like why I feel certain things that I feel or why I react in a way that I do especially because of the childhood that I had and knowing that in some ways it influences the way at times why I might feel triggered, I guess. And that's why I went is because I'd been through a few things over the past couple of years that sort of really kind of knocked me a bit. And in, I'm thankful for them in the sense that I was able to uh, learn a great deal about me and I was able to great grieve certain things from from different angles. But it was interesting to go to hypnotherapy and actually discover, uh, maybe validate some ideas about where I felt that I was coming from or to make links between um, what had happened in my childhood and why I might have reacted a certain way right now. But what I learned this week is actually isn't really about uh, hypnotherapy. It's actually about so many people say to me, that they feel bad because they feel as if they overreacted. And actually, when we feel as if we overreacted, it's not that we did, actually. It's that there was a basis there. We might not have understood entirely what that basis was, but, you know, because it's coming from a subconscious level and it's connected to things that maybe have gone on in the past that we're not aware that we have forgotten about. So it's not that we overreacted. It's that we had that basis, but we misdirected our energy or we misfired in the way that we were sort of trying to express ourselves. I was really kind of wanted to say to to people is, if you feel as if you have really, really overreacted about something, try not to be so hard on you. Because the reason why you reacted in the way that you did is because you were still carrying an emotional charge about something from your past. And that might be something that you are aware of or something that you are entirely unaware of. But the point is is that you're not crazy. It's not about there being something wrong with you. It's that you are human. And all of us have things in our past. All of us have stuff buried in our subconscious that we're not actually entirely aware of how they're influencing us today. So I'm basically saying, don't be so hard on yourself. Take the time to even look at what the parallels might be between how you're reacting to something today or, or what is going on today with, hmm, is there anything in my past that even if it doesn't look identical to this, it has some of the hallmarks of what is going on here? Because then you can understand why you are reacting in the way that you are and it can kind of just take away that sense of madness. Take care of yourself. Well, that's it for this week's episode of the Baggage Reclaim Sessions. Remember, the aim of a life plan isn't about working out everything to the nth degree. It's about getting a sense of what matters to you. It's about getting a sense of your values and your direction. Don't be a perfectionist about it because perfectionists will like want to do it all right now. It's like they don't want to risk uncertainty. So they would rather just have, create this unrealistic and unnecessary expectation that puts a great deal of pressure. Instead, it's about getting a sense of what your priorities are so that you can then start to take small steps each day that take you in that direction. This episode was produced by Claire Archbold and thank you to my little brother, Sean, for putting together all of the sound for it as well. I'd love to hear from you so you can post to the Facebook page where I'm there as Baggage Reclaim and I'm also on Twitter as at Baggage Reclaim as well. Or you can drop me a line at podcast at baggagereclaim.com. See you.